Take a step into my jungle. It's the Halloween edition, so prepare for curses, things that are weird and monsters that dwell in the mossy depths of Thorn's jungle. Ugh, scary. Happy Halloween, everyone. It was Halloween yesterday for us in Australia, and I always love Halloween. Um, I mean, the past few years it's been like getting just more dull and dull. Uh, when I was a kid, Halloween was massive. It was like up there with Christmas. We used to like make a big deal out of it. And, you know, people would go out trick-or-treating, all the kids. You would, you know, talk to your friend about, oh, what are you dressing up as this Halloween? It was like a big thing. And over the past few years, actually quite a few years, it's just been getting worse and worse. People just not getting into it. Um... And it sucks to see, but it looks like it's making a comeback, like a little resurgence, which is really cool to see. I did see some trick-or-treaters walking around. Uh, there's like a thing, I don't know if it's common in the rest of the world, but it's like if you have decorations out the front or like a pumpkin, then that means you can come and trick-or-treat at the door. And I did see quite a few, so that's really cool to see. I mean, it's one of those things where like, I'm sick of people going... Ah, it's, it's an American thing. It's like, well, for one, it's not. And secondly, who cares if it is anyway? What does that care? So are all the movies and TV shows you watch. So is like pretty much all the fashion that you uh, go by and style you wear. So who the hell cares anyway? It's awesome. It's fun. And it gets the kids out of the house and, you know, allows them to eat some candy with uh, razor blades in it like what what's the bad thing there I mean come on it's awesome so for everyone that's Halloween is today happy Halloween and for everyone that was yesterday well happy Halloween for them as well I hope you had a cool spooky time and look the dogs right on cue hasn't barked in like three hours within the first couple minutes of recording there they go. Classic dogs. So today's episode is going to be pretty much about weird spooky things that happen in jungles. And right off the bat, we're going to delve into uh, a tragedy that occurred only about a week ago in Sumatra. And the location where this occurred in Sumatra was pretty much the same region where I was in July. Uh, same kind of jungle, I was a bit more uh, at elevation and this happened in a um, very nearby province of Sumatra. A 54 year old woman went to work on a plantation in the Jambi province in Sumatra. Her husband reported her missing when she didn't return home that evening. They searched for her all of Sunday night and her husband discovered her sandals, headscarf, jacket, and the tools she was using uh, to work on the plantation. He then called for others to help. That was like the locals, the forestry uh, department, and the police. The next morning, a python was spotted in the general area. And this is a quote from um, the security team. When the security team and residents conducted a search around the rubber plantation, 
we then found a seven meter long python. That's about 22 feet. It is this snake that is suspected of preying on the victim. After we caught it, we found the victim's body inside the snake's stomach. So uh, they were searching for this woman. They thought, you know, maybe she's had a medical episode or she could have fallen and injured herself and just n not been able to return home after working on the plantation. Um, so yeah, as you do, you send your mates out and the police looking for the missing person. And yeah, they found a big python. 22 foot is a long ass reticulated python. And it had a large bulge in its stomach. They then cut it open. I mean, they, they, they highly suspected this snake had consumed this woman uh, so they cut it open and yep there she was uh, inside the snake's stomach it's a very rare occurrence it's a very tragic occurrence but it does happen um, large reticulated pythons have on very rare occasions killed and consumed human beings and it wasn't a case of maybe the woman died of you know a heart attack or something and the snake just scavenged her and just ate the body uh their wounds on the woman suggested that the snake did in fact kill her um they will grab a hold of their prey sling a few coils around them and uh pretty much kill the prey with asphyxiation so when the animal or in this case person exhales so breathes out the snake will squeeze tighter so the breasts that they can breathe in are shorter and shorter until they pretty much just suffocate um, there are crushing injuries that do occur in, in things like this and with snakes consuming humans actually the easiest way to consume a person uh, shape wise would be um, to swallow them feet first which has happened on occasion but not on this occasion but if you are a snake and you squeeze tightly enough you will then break the clavicles which is like the bones that run across the shoulders and that means the shoulders can sort of fold in on themselves and it's a lot easier for a snake to swallow a person that way uh, it's very difficult for a snake to they can get over the head all right but those shoulders can be a problem but um there are definitely some broken bones that happen with uh, constriction especially with large snakes so I'm not sure if that happened this time um, looking at the photos I did manage to see a few nothing in great detail but the woman wasn't a large woman she was small so a 22 foot snake with a small 54 year old woman um, yeah it probably wouldn't have had a hard time uh, swallowing that person at all and of course the snake was killed the woman obviously killed so it's a big it's a tragedy in in you know for the person her family and the snake as well it just sucks the snake's just doing what it is you know millions and millions of years have taught it to do and that's just hunt prey and eat it it's not going to discriminate between a person or a pig or a deer you know it just sees prey and it's going to um it's going to take advantage of that, and it did. So that happened last week. Um, pretty crazy. So that is a pretty horrifying story that can occur in the jungle. Um, you know, it's not just tigers and 
large predators you have to watch out for. I mean, a 22-foot snake is a large predator, but it's probably the last thing on your mind is you're going to get consumed by a python. It's uh, There are a lot more animals you would probably be concerned about in the jungle than, uh, than a large python eating you. So next we're going to talk about more supernatural occurrences that happen in jungles. And I mean, if you watched the movie that came out a year or two ago, uh, Jungle Cruise with The Rock and Emily Blunt, it's all about jungle curses. Um, pretty much the whole premise of the movie is this army of conquistadors uh, were cursed and uh, like trapped as a part of the jungle like there's one dude that's made of honey there's another guy that's like made of vines and stuff like they've become a part of the jungle uh, because of this curse it's it's very similar to the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, those dudes that are cursed to work on uh, Davy Jones's ship they're like you know covered in barnacles one of them's like a crab guy the other one's like a hammerhead sort of thing very similar um, and there are so many legends no matter which jungle you are in the world there are always legends that come with it uh, whether it be certain spirits that dwell in there um, and a lot of the times these legends actually are beneficial for the jungle for example this one in Malaysia and the Malaysian jungle is one that I'm very familiar with. I've been to uh, the Malaysian jungle a bunch of times and I love it. And of course, there are certain rules about that jungle that you kind of... Well, the, the locals and the indigenous people will sort of uh, obey because bad stuff can happen, uh, allegedly, if you don't obey them. And here's uh, pretty much what it is. Respect the place and don't talk big. So that's one rule. That's like, don't talk big. Don't, you know, be boisterous, you know, yell, be loud. You know, don't be a party animal in the jungle. Also, don't relieve yourself anywhere you like. Now, that's hard to do. And I'll say this firsthand. It's hard to... You're in, the, in a jungle, you know. You do what the animals do and you do your business pretty much wherever you want, just as long as it's not right next to your camp or upstream from where you're drinking water and stuff. But I think what this is saying is, you know, don't do it right out in the open. Do it in one spot and maybe continue to use that spot. You know you know what I mean. Do it in a respectful place under a tree. Don't do it right in the middle of a bloody watering hole or river. Okay? And here's another one. Here's a weird one. Don't call out your friend's name. If you break these traditional taboos, an unseen spirit may, may wreak havoc on you. For instance, a voice may imitate your companion's name and lead him far astray from the path. Or you may end up in an unseen dimension or perhaps even meet a nice old man who invites you to a fabulous mansion in the jungle. And that's where it ends? What's wrong with that? Seeing a nice old man in the jungle that invites you to a jungle mansion. That's sick. But I believe what it's saying is it's like... um. You'll see this nice old man and he will tell you about you know, his great place and he will lead you further and further into the jungle. You'll just get lost, I think. Um, 
and they're calling out your friend's name, you might hear a voice that imitates him. Uh, okay, so I think like these rules are kind of, um, I guess what people would tell their kids and things like that, just to respect nature, respect the jungle. Because uh, if you don't, you could get lost or, you know, just bad stuff can happen. I mean, it's it's a pretty good message, I think. Respect the jungle. Don't be so loud where you're disturbing the animals. I like it. I like these ones. Um, there's another legend in this same jungle uh, of Malaysia. And it's about a spirit of the water called Hantu Air. Now, Air is uh, Bahasa for water. And it's an unseen dweller of watery places such as rivers, lakes, seas, swamps, and even ditches. It's mainly associated with bad things happening to people. And um, these can include drownings, people going missing, uh, sudden floods. The term Hantu Air may sound spooky to Malays, but when the term is translated into English, it creates a new understanding of the meaning. And for a long time, the Malay archipelago was ruled by animism, which is a belief in spirits. And people tended to associate almost anything with the spiritual world, including nature. Um, and this has happened not just in Malaysia, but pretty much any culture and place that lives in any sort of wilderness area do have some sort of uh, animism, if that's a word, anim animistic sort of view on nature. Now, some people believe that this uh, water spirit will haunt places associated with water during or after it's been uh, discarded by its previous owner. So once the spirit leaves its owner, it starts haunting these places. The unguided and lost spirit will soon roam the place uh, where it's been discarded, normally a watery location. When it's hungry, it will feast on anything, including humans. Now, superstitions arriving among the locals tell of this uh, evil spirit lurking around watery places where it sometimes disguises itself as basically anything from an old tree trunk, a beautiful lady, fish or animals, and it'll attract people into its trap where the uh, caught person will be eaten or even drowned. Now, this could be another lesson um, that is taught to people that, you know, don't get greedy with things. Um don't play near the water don't don't take the water for granted pretty much because that water spirit uh, will will get you and I mean if you were told that as a kid then you would be like okay um, I'll sort of be very wary around the uh, around rivers and lakes and things like that and it seems to be a common thing with uh, jungle legends that beautiful women if you see them in the jungle are going to mess you up. It's not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I can attest, if, after being in the jungle for a while and you see a beautiful woman, you know, it's it, it would probably be hard to uh, to just not go up and have a chat to her, you know? So I think that's when they get you, when you're at your most vulnerable, when you're at your the, the peak of jungle horniness. That's when they get you. That's when they all appear. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird one. <laughs> and not 
uh, not only found uh, told in Malaysia, it's all over the place. There's so many uh, legends about, I guess, sirens is sort of the equivalent. Like seafarers would hear singing, there are a bunch of beautiful women laying on rocks. The sailors, being at sea for a while, would go over to check it out, you know, and end up beached on some rocks and drowning. <laughs> uh, also in Malaysia, and I only found out about this maybe a few years ago, that the jungle I've been to many times on the Malaysian archipelago is actually home to like a Bigfoot-type animal. Um, there's lots of different names for it, uh, one of them being the Orang Mawas is one of them, and I think the other name for it's like Orangadang, Orangadang-dang-dang, Orangadang-dang, something like that. Um, actually, that sounded like that crazy frog, remember that? An annoying thing. Um, and back in like 1811, so a long time ago, some uh, oil worker or whatever he was uh, found footprints of it, like gigantic footprints. A Canadian surveyor found massive bipedal footprints that could only be made, allegedly, of a bipedal animal that was huge. And there have been other sightings, there's been photographs, uh, documentaries made on this sort of creature, but it is uh, pretty harmless, apparently. It, it sort of keeps to itself, it's shy. So not really horrific, but still pretty damn terrifying. Um, yeah, imagine being in the jungle and seeing like an eight-foot hairy dude lumbering about. Yeah, be pretty horrifying. Now, I have my own uh, creepy experiences that I've encountered in this jungle. Uh, like I said, I think I've been to the Malaysian jungle four times. And yeah, I've encountered some strange stuff. Uh, for example, if you had listened to the episode about um, the tale of the tapir, uh, with my brother Scott we talk about it on that episode where we encountered a UFO we were on a riverbank one night and a UFO came over the top of us it was clear as clear as day and it wasn't a man-made object that's for sure it moved in ways that were just completely unnatural and no human technology can behave like that it was a genuine UFO sighting and that was very creepy but also while we were filming Tale of the Tabia while we while we were looking for the animal um, we were taking it in turns um, so Scott would sleep and I was taking the first shift where I was staying awake looking over this mud pit and every now and again I would shine my flashlight over it to see if any animals have appeared uh, on the mud because they they like you know eating eating, well they eat clay and things like that to get some uh, minerals out of it and they love mud pits as well, they love sort of cooling down in them and staring out into the darkness for long enough you start seeing things, uh, weird forms kind of take shape in front of you uh, and a like very vivid 
thing was happening to me where I was staring out into the pitch black jungle um, and as your eyesight sort of uh, becomes accustomed to the dark you can kind of make out objects and the trees were turning into like skeletons like the skeletons of humans giant human skeletons and I mean this was all in my imagination this was a uh, classic case of uh, what's called pareidolia where um, your brain uh, kind of makes up human faces and shapes. It's very good at that because it recognizes that. Uh, it's like seeing faces in the clouds. And um, they attribute like a lot of Bigfoot sightings, you know, when they take a photo of the forest or whatever, and there's a weird shape and it's probably just the shadow of a tree. But humans are very good at putting things together to make it look more human. So. Um, that's probably all it was was you know I'm making human shapes and they happen to happen to be the shape of a skeleton in the trees but it was very creepy uh, we we're out in the middle of the jungle in the middle of the night just Scott and I and you know <laughs> you're seeing skeletons moving around in the trees pretty creepy and on that same uh, expedition when we were coming out of the jungle, we had like a day's walk out, we got lost. And there are a lot of legends about jungle spirits that make you lose your way, make you get lost. And that happened to us. It is insane how easy it is to get lost in a jungle. It's all green all the time and you will get lost if you're not, um, if you don't have your head switched on, you know? And like, we walked the exact same track that we walked to come into that area. Exact same. We followed our tracks to a T, but we kept on getting lost. And our tracks were next to a river, so it's so easy to stay on your tracks next to a river. But we kept on getting lost. And after a while of being lost, we look up and there's a woman standing there really pretty woman with like flowers decorating her and we're like what the hell like a tribal woman and then other indigenous people started emerging from the jungle it was an entire I guess community of them and they were the local tribe the Orang Asli and at this point we were lost and we approached them and sort of used hand gestures uh, to let them know, like to ask them which way to go and they pointed in the direction and they got us out of the jungle. So they kind of saved us in a sense. But it is so easy to get lost in the jungle and a lot of these legends that come out about spirits making you lose your way, if you follow, for example, a beautiful woman and you'll get lost or an old guy that, you know, gives you delusions of grandeur, I've got this big ass jungle mansion, come with me. Uh, so it's a lesson to always have your head on a swivel and never lose focus because you will get lost. And actually, the uh, irony of that is, um, you know, I don't follow a beautiful woman because you'll get into trouble in the jungle. It was actually kind of the beautiful woman that we approached that, in a sense, saved us. <laughs> so I uh, kind of did the opposite there because if we didn't find her and the rest of them, then we probably, well, we would have had a very difficult time 
uh, getting out of that jungle that time. So, yeah, it's interesting. Another jungle myth. We're going to go from the Malaysian jungle to the Brazilian jungle in South America. And I love this legend. I, I think it's great. Every time I picture it, I'm like, that's pretty damn cool. And it's the legend of the Boto. So the Boto is like a... Well, it's a pink river dolphin. That's what people uh, colloquially call them there. Boto. B-O-T-O. And the legend goes that Amazonian pink river dolphins uh, at night time will turn into young, attractive men. And once they transform into these young, attractive men, they pretty much go partying. And they look for young women. And once they transform from the dolphin to the human, they still keep a few uh, physical attributes of the dolphin that they have to disguise. So one of these things that they keep from the dolphin when they um, transform is a blowhole. So these dolphins turn into men and they still have blowholes. So they wear a hat, you know, like a one of them Panama hats or Brazilian, not Brazilian, um, what are they called? like pork pie hats to cover the blowhole otherwise you know the jigs up that dude's walking around with a blowhole uh, that's not a bit weird at all <laughs> so after he seduces the women he uh, will spend the night with them have a one night stand and then he disappears back into the river he becomes a dolphin again disappears back into the river so it's a wham bam thank you ma'am dolphin sex uh, session and then he's back in the river and often he will impregnate the woman with the you know with a botto baby and um, yeah it's uh, there's an actual story that is told to people like an example and, and here it is the story goes that near the riverbanks lived an indigenous family with an 18 year old daughter Rosita Every day she would go down to the river to do chores like wash clothing. One day, as she went to collect water, Rosita, was Rosita decided to dive into the river for a swim. As she swam, a young man appeared sitting at the edge of the river. They started to talk. The young man told Rosita that he was a fisherman, and after some time she fell in love with him. And together they spent the night. Every night from then on, they met at the same spot. It began to worry her family, so her father confronted her. Rosita told him that she was in love and wanted to marry the young fisherman. The father agreed and invited the young man to stay the night. The father noticed that the man would leave every morning and only coming back during the evening. Now, I'll stop it there. That's not unusual for a bloke to do that. Just saying, men do that. All right. <laughs> okay, one fateful night, the dolphin forgot to wake before dawn. So when Rosita woke, she found a pink dolphin in her bed next to her. She tried to escape, but the father, uh, he tried to escape, but the father shot him with a shotgun, killing the dolphin. The man never came back, and Rosita began to believe that he left her. So they didn't realize that this dude had turned into the dolphin. She just woke up and there's a pink river dolphin next to her dad comes in shooting at it thing flies out the window or whatever never to be seen again 
the worst thing about this was that Rosita was pregnant. Nine months later, Rosita died giving birth, and the father found that the baby was a pink dolphin. He realized then that the fisherman was the dolphin that he killed. Oh, so he killed the dolphin. So... Okay, so the, no, that's a shame. From then on, all girls were warned to avoid mysterious men found near the riverbank. Another form of the myth is that the dolphins were once humans that were cursed. These myths most likely arrived because of, the, uh, of how intelligent dolphins are. You know, like they aid fishermen catching fish. They're known to use their noses to help people that are like drowning and in trouble. Things like that. So their intelligence, people are like, well, these are, these are more human-like than animal-like. Um, and an another form of this myth is that the men, when the dolphins become transform into men and seduce the women, they are then lured back into the water, uh, into like their dolphin world, which is uh, in 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 enchanted. Uh, they've also been called uh, encantados, which means enchanted ones. So these dolphins are also called uh, the enchanted ones, encantados, which is pretty cool. That's a sick name. The name is pretty. It's it's used for any magical thing. Encantados, enchanted one. I mean, does that sound that bad? I mean, being like being seduced by a dude that's a dolphin. In, in the woman's mind, it's, it's still a bloke. You know, and they have a one-night stand. They have a good time. Then the dolphin man pisses off back into the water. No harm done. Except he didn't use protection and he's probably knocked her up. And then she gives birth to a dolphin. That's that's a bad thing. That's a, that's a deal breaker. But then being lured back into uh, this enchanted realm... Is, is that a bad thing? I think it sounds pretty cool. I mean, we don't know what's in this enchanted realm. It could be, like, hell bad. It could be, like, horrible. You know, they might not have dishwashers and you have to hand wash uh, the cutlery, you know. There might not be Uber Eats down there. That sucks. But it could be hell nice. Like, remember on Star Wars Episode One when they go, uh, is it Naboo? They go into the underwater kingdom where Jar Jar Binks lives. It looks sick. They're living in like bubbles under this lake. And um, yeah, and then Jar Jar gets himself into a bit of a pickle. No again, Jar Jar. Yeah. Mr. Clumsel. That's my Jar Jar Binks impersonation. Mr. called Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. He's an amphibious type thing. But yeah, so that that's the legend of the Botter. I mean... Again, it's a lesson. All these seem to be lessons, and that's a, le a lesson for young women to be... Yeah, ha stranger danger. Don't just blindly follow young men, because out there in the jungle, you know, bad things happen. So it, it does kind of give them a good warning that if you blindly follow a man and have one night stand for one you might you know get impregnated whether it be a dolphin or not regardless unplanned um, it's an unplanned pregnancy um, and two you could be um, 
rooting a dolphin. Okay? So, yeah, it, again, it's a good good uh good morals there, good uh good tale. Dolphin tale that is. I think I like this story not because of the um you know, the luring women kind of thing. That that's that's obviously terrible, but it's just a fact it's based around a uh, Amazonian river dolphin and I love them so much in Bolivia while we were filming season one of Kings of Pain where I would sleep was like a like a hut right on the riverbank and every morning I'd see uh, Bolivian river dolphins which are a um, different species of Amazonian river dolphin there are Boliviensis, Inia jeffrensis boliviensis. Uh, so they're a subspecies of the Amazon river dolphin. So they're a, they're very similar, and um, like I think back at the story of the Boto and how close these river dolphins were to me every day, and they would have been you know probably cruising past at night if they weren't asleep, and you know in the back of my mind I'm like. Imagine if I woke up and there's some like dude standing in my room wearing a uh, a fedora to cover his blowhole, <laughs> like, you know. But yeah, it seems like they're just after the women, which is probably why the uh, the crew, the men, were closest to the river, and the women were sort of uh, that were part of the crew were a bit more inland because then bloody bottos were about. Uh, but I love those river dolphins so much they're up there and probably my top five favorite animals and top five coolest animal experience was just seeing those those river dolphins they they are in in kante in, in, in yeah you know what i mean enchanted like just seeing them it's it's enchanting just watching them you don't have to go down to their enchanted realm just watching them is magical enough they are so cool all right, well, we are heading towards the end of this episode, and I'm going to leave you with a story from Chris. He's um, called in a few times with some interesting stories regarding bonobo sex, uh, mainly, and a uh, botfly that he squeezed out of his body. But this time, uh, I asked people on Instagram and Facebook to send me in some uh sort of scary you know jungle stories jungle curses anything like that and you know realistically not that many people have been to the jungle so I only got one reply (laughs) and it was from Chris but this is a great story about what we were talking about before getting lost in the jungle and jungle spirits and his encounter with something quite eerie now it's a long story but luckily Chris has a nice voice to listen to and um, yeah before I play and end on Chris's story I just want to say that today we hit the 10,000 subscriber mark for Thorns Jungle which is so cool I mean we've doubled listenership in like a month which is amazing and um, I just want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing 
whatever platform you're on, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon, whatever it is. And I want to thank everyone who rated Thorns Jungle. And um, yeah, I'm going to continue to put out episodes every week for free. I do have a Patreon account account now. And um, if you want to subscribe, become a patron, there's different tiers. But for $4 a month, you'll get an extra episode every week and different tiers as different different benefits um so yeah what i'll do is i'll make an official official announcement about that probably next episode and um yeah but like i say there'll always be an episode free for you and thorns pouches uh, what am i saying i'm thorn <laughs> my pouches are now for sale if you want one of them uh, leather fire pouches that i wear in kings of pain it is they are for sale on my website, biothorn.com.au. Just go to the shop and uh, get yourself a sick pouch. All right. I hope everyone has a wicked, spooky Halloween. And I will see you next time on another episode of Thorn's Jungle. And here's Chris to uh, end the episode. So, Adam, this time I'm going for a different kind of story. I will tell you the legend of... La Curupira. The origin of the legend is in Brazil, but the voice just spread, spread all the way through the Amazon. So this is a female spirit, uh, and the main characteristic or trait of this female spirit is that she has the feet uh, on the other way around, like butt wax. So this, is, this could be a really nice spirit or... Also, it could be a really bad spirit. So she punished people that uh, have done like really bad things to the forest or you misbehave. It's been, this story is also has been used to scare like bad husbands um, because supposedly, supposedly, you say that in English? Well, it... Um, attacks let's say attacks or the main target is men so because if you are in the forest she presents to you like a, as a beautiful woman so the the guy who see her uh, is going to start to follow her so at some point she's gonna get lost and then you want to follow the, the tracks but as I told you she has the feet backwards and the main thing is to you to get lost. That's like the main goal for this spirit, to get lost in the forest, to get you lost in the forest. So basically this is the idea. And this little, this little introduction was because I have a couple of experiences in the Amazon that, I don't know, probably it was me that I was tired uh, or I spent so much time alone in the forest. I lived in the Ecuadorian Amazon one year following spider monkeys. So I was spending the whole day alone inside the forest. I was following spider monkeys since five in the morning until 6 p.m. So I will tell you the story, done. Um, this was the first day I was really, really, really far from camp from a scientific station. Uh, 
So I was really, really far with the monkeys. And sometimes there is students or people that come to do research. And close where I was with the monkeys, there is a lagoon, a small lagoon. So people came here and then to see there is anacondas there. And you can see amazing birds and stuff. So I finished that day. I finished quite early with the monkeys. I mean, because I lost them. So I was coming back to, to camp. It, it's, I don't know, it's like one hour or so uh, walking to camp. And then I was getting close to this lagoon that I told you. And then I, I started hearing voices. So I was like, great, the students are here. So I can just jump into their boat. And then I just avoid walking to camp. And I start going fast to, to reach the people. And then I arrived to the lagoon and there was no one there. But I just keep hearing voices. So I like, okay, maybe they are in the, um, where the boat is. So I just going fast and then catch them. And then I keep going, going and then I arrived to the border of the river and then there was no boat, no people. And I couldn't hear any motor sounds. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is quite weird. Um, I just going to try to know, to, to don't think about it. So I just come back and then I start walking back to camp. That happened that day. At the next day, I just come back to the forest. I found the monkeys, I started doing my work. And that, that day the monkeys decide to go to sleep quite late, like around six. And then I just left them in the sleeping tree and then start coming back. So I started searching for the main trail and to go back to, to camp. And then I was following my GPS and my compass and stuff. And then according to my GPS, I arrived to, to the main trail and uh, I wasn't able to see the trail. And this trail was a really good trail. It was really well done. And then you can see it at night with the moonlight. I mean, there's no way that you can see the trail. But at the moment, I couldn't. So I was like, okay, this is weird. And then I looked to my GPS and then my GPS was showing me that I was walking over the, over the, the trail. So, okay, this is weird. So I, I thought maybe this is a fallen tree and then I cannot see the trail. So I decided to keep walking through the forest um, to catch the trail ahead. And I did the same. I started walking through the forest and it was already almost seven. And then according to my GPS, I reached again the, the trail, but I wasn't able to, to see the trail. And then I was walking over and over and over. And again, I, I was like, okay, this is weird. I've been walking this trail for a really long time and I know this trail. So it should be here. Like the, the area was also like quite familiar for me. So it's like, okay, I will just keep going through the forest and see if I can find the trail again a little bit ahead. I did the same, I was with my GPS, I was following the GPS. And again, according to the GPS, I was on top of the trail, but I wasn't able to see it. And then it was so weird and it was like the whole vibe in the Amazon that night, it was just in the forest, it was just weird. It was feeling, I was feeling cold and you know, the 
whole atmosphere was weird. It was a lot of wind and stuff. They were like, okay, this is weird. And then in my mind was, okay, Christian, you, you are tired. So just maybe just take a rest, sit and think about it. I just breathe. And then I just sit and I check the GPS. I have full battery. I have full signal. The compass was working, working well. I say, okay, the compass is pointing north. The GPS is also pointing north. I mean, everything is good. Because sometimes in this area of the forest, there is sometimes the, um, the compass start misbehaving. It's just like turning around without stopping. It's weird. So I say, okay, just sit and take a rest. <laughs> and then I just sit. And I'm just thinking, I'm just taking a break. And then I saw that a beetle come and then he stopped in a leaf. But this beetle has like two dots on the thorax. It was like a really beautiful, bright green. And then I was like, okay, this is the first time that I see this kind of beetle. It's quite beautiful. It was big though. And so I was just watching the, the beetle. And then suddenly the beetle flies and stop a few meters away from me. I just follow the beetle with my eyes and stop like maybe two, three meters away from me. And then I was so curious about this beetle, so I just go where the beetle stop. And then the trail was there. I mean, the beetle stopped where the trail was. So I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of weird. And then <laughs> I just, start walking back to camp like fast and also because I was hungry but yeah the the whole situation was weird like the vibe the energy of the forest was quite different that night I mean I was used to walk at night in 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 the forest um but that night just everything just was just like really really weird I don't know maybe it was in my head I was going crazy too much time alone in the forest maybe I don't know, but maybe it was the Kurupira that was playing with me. I don't know. The thing is, I just coming back really, really, really fast. And <laughs> I'm not religious or anything, but suddenly I find myself singing like religious uh, songs. You know, Colombia is a very Catholic place. So somehow, if you ask someone, uh, any Colombian for sure, this person would know uh, one church song or something. But yeah, that's not the point. So I was just coming back, I almost running and singing <laughs> these religious songs. And I was making a lot of movies in my head. So at some point I took a shortcut and it was a small trail like through the forest. And <laughs> I would just really focus on the trail. And then a deer just come from nowhere and then jump in front of me. And I just get so fucking scared that I just turn back and start running back without reason, like running and without stopping. And then I just come back almost like half kilometer. So I have to walk again. That night was, that night was just crazy. But at the end of the journey or the walk to camp, there was like, a, I don't know, like maybe a consolation prize. I don't know how to say that in English, but I saw um, also a lot. 
So at the end, everything will turn quite right. But yeah, all this is just because I want to tell you like what you think about this belief or forest spirits and this kind of stuff that somehow like when you walk in the forest and doing these kind of jobs, when you share a lot with local communities, you just hear and learn about all about this. And I think this is really, really an amazing thing about the experience working in the forest and with local people. So yeah, there you go. Sorry, it's really long, but I hope you like it.